0: A tradition like no other, and it only happens on Tuesday. Howard picks the bills. Brought to you by Admar Construction Equipment and Supplies. Equipment you need when you need it.
5: Okay, welcome back, y'all. We're uh, switching gears. We're gonna talk to my good pal Joe Yurden now, who joins me on the Western Hotline and talk a little Sabers Devils. Joe. Good evening. Good evening. Holy cow. (laughs) <laughs> good, uh, good afternoon to you, friend. I just assumed we were out getting beers. Yeah, you know
2: what? That's a sa- it's always a safe assumption to make, man. It's uh, yeah, no, it's a uh, beautiful, beautiful day out here in Albany. I'm a little bit of a ways, a little ways across the state, but it's uh, but yeah, interesting game last night, eh?
5: Interesting game. Uh, let's before we like maybe talk about the Sabers here. Um man that devil's team seems as fast as like any team that has been created so far <laughs> in the like they are fast they can play defense and they can score when they need to um that's a that's an up and coming team there joe
2: yeah they it's it's funny it kind of snuck up on people which seems weird because you know they've had a they've had a few pretty high draft picks i mean Nico Isher, yeah. jack hughes uh but they've been able to build in behind those guys with some really good talent you know i, I think of uh yeger i mean these names might be foreign to everybody but Jager sharon Govich, uh, dawson mercer i mean they, they're, they're, there's a lot of guys jesper bratt like these are some very good players and they play a very fast, high intensity brand of hockey that Buffalo hasn't encountered yet this season. And it kind of showed early on because they looked a little shell shocked trying to handle it. And that's what the Devils have been doing to everybody this season. It's just, they, they've caught everybody off guard.
5: You know what I'll, I mean, again, I, I, maybe don't want to beat a dead horse about how much I enjoyed listening to Don Granado talk, especially after games, especially when he can like kind of off the cuff react to his team's performance. And I liked a lot of what he said yesterday. I mean, they, they did for the most part, you know, I think you're right, especially initially early in the hockey game, it did feel like they were a little shell shocked and they were playing on their heels, but once they sort of figured things out, like Don Granado pointed this as a really good learning experience for this team. And, and I want to maybe keep harping on the fact that this is a young hockey team who I guess, you know, Know, were some of our expectations maybe moved and wrongly moved after a really strong start? Sure. I mean, that's kind of how it's felt the last couple of years. And then they go on this seven-game losing streak, and you're like, oh boy, nothing has changed. But I, I think seeing them shift away from the those struggles and learning what they're learning and how Don Granado has talked about using this as an opportunity to learn and that other teams, he's been with other teams that have veterans that have gone through eight, seven, eight-game losing streaks, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's 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 less constructive when you're talking about guys who have been here in the league before, but guys who have not gone through this, I think it's still probably important and used as a learning experience and probably don't have a better developmental coach than Don Granado to help them through this. But to see them come out the other side of the tunnel um, and to see the, I know you and I kind of like joked about it the other night, but like the impact that Matias Samuelson just continues to play on this mm-hmm. blue line, um, you know, better for it. Or am I like maybe grasping at straws here? No, no,
2: I, I think they are better for it. And, you know, I I've asked this to Don a couple of times and I, he's probably gotten annoyed at me asking, asking about it and, you know, trying to reword it in different ways. But his, his idea with, you know, when dealing with, you know, with hardships and even the high moments is to let the, let these guys experience, let them, let them feel it, let them understand what it's like to, to, to handle it because it's the only way you're going to get that experience. So I, you know, I get like having, you know looking at things through that lens because again yeah it, the, half this team is, is stupid young I mean it's the youngest team in the league and I think if you had a team loaded with veterans that that goes into a funk where you're losing seven or eight games in a row you're thinking you're you're thinking you're in trouble because they're veterans they've been there they know what they know what it's like they know what it's like to go through that and sometimes you get caught up in it and you're just like okay well this is the way it's going to be this is how it's going to be with young guys it's the highs are higher and the lows feel lower because they haven't gone through it yet. They haven't, you know, been kind of numbed off to those experiences because they haven't done it. So when you're, when you're going through these things, like, yeah, yeah, you, you, you do want to feel it. And, you know, you could see them snap out of it in a, in a heartbeat. Like they did that against Montreal. I mean, they going to Montreal and you're on a long, you're on a long losing streak. And then suddenly you're popping seven goals by them, and you're feeling right. great. And then they've followed up with, uh, against St. Louis and, and do basically the same thing. So, You know, you got to handle these things, but and you got to make sure that the habits are all right. Uh, And I think that's more what what Granado's got to get takes care of with these guys. Is that as long as they're doing the right things and as long as they're going through things the proper ways, things will figure themselves out. It's just you know, it's it gets tough in the moment.
5: He he has the noted jerk noted hockey sub stack he does the maintenance day podcast with lance likowski of the buffalo news and he's also a bleacher report contributor joe yurden here on our west her hotline we're talking some sabers some sabers devils of course but um i wanted to ask you about tyson joseph's game because obviously since coming over on waivers um has been a guy that i think Almost gets his first goal yesterday, two goals that were did not count because of, quote, early whistles or whatever the hell that was. Um, <laughs> I, I've liked his game. I've liked what he's brought, especially to the bottom of the lineup. I, I think right now, Joe, it's safe to say with—and we'll talk about this. We'll talk about the second line in a minute because their underlying numbers are bananas. They just have had mm-hmm. some of the worst luck that I've seen in terms of putting the puck into the net— um, than than any young line I've seen a long time, but they are it—the the the Quinn Paterka and Cousins line, like that's the future of that second line. You will love to see it, but the bottom not the bottom six once again is just this kind of mishmash of yeah, guys that they are tied to because they either drafted or they're in the process of developing that haven't quite gotten there yet, or they're just kind of struggling and, and peddling along. Jost is a nice little player for this bottom not, bottom six, I would say, and 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 brings a maybe a, a better maybe energy set or, or defensive mindset that maybe I thought he was going to bring um, based on where he was drafted?
2: Yeah. he. Uh, it, it, this happens sometimes with guys that are taken, you know, in the first round. He was a high pick. I mean, he was what? Tenth uh, overall, I think? Yeah, I think? Yeah. He was tenth, yeah. Uh, so you come in with that hype, with that thought that, okay, this guy's going to be a big-time scorer and he's going to fill the net and then, you know, he's going to go from there. Sometimes things change along the road. Cause think about it, you get drafted at eighteen. You know, are you a settled person yet? No. Have you figured everything out yet? Definitely not. Uh, and you know, he you know he spent a year at college, played at North Dakota, and you know was was a you know was was a big player there. Came out and then you know winds up in Colorado where they're they're a little bit stacked up with players, and you know then he gets he gets moved off to Minnesota last season, misses out on playing on the Stanley Cup team, which hurts. Yep. But he's he's had to kind of alter his game in a way, and he's coming he comes into Buffalo as like as a hungry, ready to prove stuff kind of player, because you know I mean you get waived, you get put on waivers by by the Wild, the Wild has you know been kind of going through it a little bit, and you're thinking like geez like these guys don't even want to keep me around. It's like I I'm gonna I'm gonna show them, I gotta prove it to them, and he's come in and you know I think they, 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 they he came in and they gave him the idea of like okay here's what we envision for you go out and get it uh because you know one of the, the the things we talked to him about his first you know his first day here was was about playing on the PK uh and you know they had just gotten shredded yep. on, on on the and on the, the, the PK you know the game before and you're thinking okay well you know that's nice but you know what else can he do well that, you know first game out he just comes out and drops the gloves you know in the first minute of the game and you're like okay well this guy's ready to roll yeah uh, but he's played very intense. He's played very fast, very upfront hockey, and I think that's it's important for that kind of line. You know, you put him with Demgus, you put him with Kyle Pozo. Like those guys have been doing that for a while. But you you add in Jost, and and you have him get in there and in, into that mix suddenly you're thinking like okay well you know we've been trying to you know trying to work things out with Peyton Krebs and get him right. figured out in that right. spot and you know that that's i mean that's not ultimately where you want to play him Correct. Like that's it's not that's just not where you want to go with him but Jost in that spot is perfect and it's it's worked really well the possession numbers are great for him through the last couple of games so you like to see that but it it does open up another question with, you know, how do you handle Krebs now? And I think that's where things are a little bit crowded at the moment.
5: I would agree, and, and I, I also agree with your point of the better fit between those two. It just, it feels like a waste to put Peyton Krebs on, on you know, quote-unquote fourth line between Zemgis and because he's just, and, and, and i because it doesn't feel like he's really at the point where he's driving play offensively, and you know, you like the idea, like I've liked the idea of finding a way to get Asplund paired with Krebs no matter what so that that underlying, the, the, that underlying defensive responsibility of Asplund, and I think if you look at the underlying numbers when they're paired, Krebs goes from a defensive liability to being like kind of average and and being replacement level, which is what you want to see from him, and the question is, can you put him with a defensive responsible player and find someone with enough offensive impact on the other side to unleash the passing that... You know, and and like the passing acumen that you know Krebs is capable of and has, and I, I will tell you that obviously the integration the the integration of of you know of Tuck has been seamless as it gets. I mean, he is on pace for whatever, like forty one goals this year. I am in no worries of where they are with with him. I do wonder though how they find that place for Krebs. Is he a center? Is he a wing? Can he play on a line that that has some offensive acumen without having any level of defensive acumen on it? And, and I just wonder, it's more so, I agree with you at the crowded nature of the forward group right now, but I'm also trying to project this long-term. If we're talking about a third-line player, which I think we are, how do you make this work with him if he's not, because he's not a guy that's going to fill the, the stat sheet with goals anyways, who do you get with him that you can really get them and maximize his passing ability? And I think that's probably where Don Granato is going to have his toughest task.
2: Yeah, and there, there's a couple things at play here. Like Krebs didn't have a lot of time in the AHL. You know He, he, went, from, he went from the WHL, uh, where, you know, he had an injury to deal with. He, you know, he got through that. Uh, and then he comes into, he, he, you know, he goes into Vegas, you know, last season for his first, you know, kind of real go-around. Gets kind of thrown into the mix with Vegas for, for a handful of games because they had injury problems. Uh, only plays a handful of games with Henderson in the AHL. And then he comes over to Buffalo and, you know, he's playing in the NHL right away. And, you know, he you know he goes play, plays in the AHL in the playoffs, which was great for him. That was, he looked awesome. Uh, but he hasn't had a lot of development time in development leagues. You know that, that that's right. how I look at it with him. And you know, learning that stuff on the fly and and trying to you know get caught up when you haven't had that time makes life difficult. Because you know we've all seen what he's capable of. He's sure. a brilliant passer. He's got a, he's a fantastic offensive-minded player. Um, you know the defensive stuff needs work. But it needs, every every young guy needs to work with that. But. Uh, in my mind, if you have a line with Krebs centering Asplund and Olsson, that seems like it could be pretty good. It's that, you know, you're asking you're asking Asplund to maybe pick up a lot of the the slack there defensively, but I mean, Olsson's gotten a little bit better now at five on five, so that's an improvement. But then it leads to another question: What, what do you do with Casey Middlestat? Right? So yeah. You, you know, and right. Middlestat's kind of you know he had a very you know, he and Olsson had a very good game last night, I thought, but uh you know they're kind of getting through going through and, and figuring out how to get better at five and five so it's it's a lot of little they're not fires but they're little things that grunato's got to try to figure out how to take care of them and i you know everybody in rochester screaming to get Krebs sent down there but i don't you know i mean listen he'll get the game then he'll play great but i don't know what he's exactly he'd be proving there but you know i don't know if that's ultimately the the way you have to go to treat that but it's uh it's a nice problem to have. It's, it's a little awkward right now just because you're trying to find ice time for everybody. And that's what they want yeah. to do. They don't want to have guys sitting out. It's like that's, that's, not, that's not ideal. Um, but in Krebs's case, this is, it, it, it's something that's going to take a little bit of time to figure out just because that development, uh, that development time hasn't really been there for him.
5: Yeah, and and I wonder, like, I think about this and, like, from a career arc, is you have two developmental looks on this team right now. You talked about Casey Middlestad and kind of his. I don't. I don't know what you what you even want to call what what we've got with Casey Middlestat right now. He's it's an up and down player. The line, I mean, is out there for a lot of goals against, and you know that that that's something to keep in mind. And, and kind of how his whole developmental process went, right? I mean, he when he got demoted mm-hmm. down to Rochester, came back up, then the injuries happened. It was, he was just a hard evaluation. And then you look at Tage, right? Like a guy who also got sent down to Rochester after being traded mm-hmm. here, and there was this expectation that he could play at this level right away because of his size, because of his speed, and it it just didn't work. They sent him down to Rochester, and that really ended up, I think, being one of the better things for him. And then, obviously, the move to center changed his entire career arc. Now, mm-hmm. like, where do you? If I were to ask you, like, if you had a you were a betting man, what Peyton Krebs is? I, how many guys are going to turn into Tage Thompson and turn to forty goal scorers? That's not going to be Peyton Krebs. But like, I also think, you know, I, I guess my concern and my my hope is that this doesn't turn into a Casey Middlestadt thing where he kind of struggles to get in and out of the lineup especially early on and then injuries and then he just becomes a hard guy to evaluate and then all of a sudden his contracts up and you're wondering whether or not you want to move with, move forward with him long term like do, do you feel like the move back down to Rochester maybe even if it's for a prolonged period the rest of the season this year maybe makes the most sense for his long term development although it would probably have a short term mental impact
2: yeah I, I think that's i think it would have to be something that is somewhere in the back of their minds, you know, whether it's Kevin Adams or Don Granato or both of them. I mean, they, they work in concert. So if it's something that they agree on, that's something they would do. Um, in the short term, it, it would be it would be difficult, uh, just because you know you you have seen them a lot already at the NHL level, and you know one of the part of one of their their plans was to kind of work him and Quinn, and even Asplund. It looked like they you know they were kind of rotating in and out of the lineup, trying to figure out. Uh, trying to make sure guys get minutes, guys get games, and 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 play that way. But but Quinn has uh, to me Quinn solidified himself in the lineup. I, I don't think he, I don't think he comes out of the lineup again unless he's hurt. Uh, with the way he's played, and you know in Krebs' case, I mean, you're you're hoping to have that kind of a breakout game. But again, you know, it goes back to the point we were talking about. You know, it's tough to do with you know playing with Gergensens and Opozo, and you know it's it's hard to do there because your 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 minutes are limited, and you know the opportunities aren't always going to be there with those guys. But a move to Rochester. I mean, I, I think that's more like a—it's almost more like a philosophical thing, really, for the for the team. Because uh, you know, if you send him down there and he just starts lighting it up and he's you know he racks up assists and goals and points and all that, you're like, well, okay, yeah, we knew he could do that. Sure. We knew he's, we knew he's better than that. But how do we get him into the lineup in Buffalo? And that's that's where things get more a little more difficult. But I mean, ideally, you want that to be a competition thing. Um, but the thing is, who is he competing against? I mean, I guess' it's, yeah. i I suppose it's tyson jost um but i you know and they're very adamant about you know about playing Middlestad. and you know Middlestad hasn't exactly played bad,
5: and no, he just hasn't played like particularly good
2: right, and they're they're being patient with him because of what happened with the injury sure. last year i mean he you know he had a fantastic training camp, and then you know he comes out you know gets a, gets injured and then he's out for a bunch and then he comes back, and then he wasn't ready for it, and he goes back out so you know it's hard you don't want to you don't want to punt on somebody that you, that that might still be very good, but you're not sure yet. Like That's that's the whole part of the evaluation process that you you don't want to be guilty of. you got so many young guys, you, it's very hard to move on from them unless you're absolutely 100% sure, like, yeah, this guy ain't got it, we gotta go.
5: And I think this, it was either, I, I couldn't necessarily make out who asked the question. Um, it was maybe last week after their eighth straight loss, right? And I was listening to Don's uh, post game presser, and I think it was Paul who might have asked something like, you know, looking back, do you guys... Make maybe regret having so many young guys on one team without maybe having more of that veteran presence um, because of like, a lot of the growing pains that you're going to go through and knowing that there's these experiences they have to have and they have to experience to grow. Is there like the regret, maybe looking back in the roster development of not having one or maybe two, especially on the blue line, but having one or two more veterans that maybe they can lean on in some of these tough moments, maybe not from an on ice perspective, but just somebody that's on the bench that a young guy can go to or pairing up a young guy on the line with someone who's been there, who's done that. And, and, and I think it was a fair question. and I love Don's response. It was more like, You know, kind of along the lines of, we believe this experience is really important for them. And what are we going to do? We're going to bring in a veteran guy who's going to take minutes away from some of these guys to have an opportunity to learn from it. But like, I think it's, and he even said it, like it's a fair question to ask. Like, is the roster construction, you know, almost holding back some of these young players from developing?
2: Yeah, I I think you're right. It was Paul who asked that because, uh, because that, I mean, again, that's it's an extremely fair question to ask. You know, given how things were going at that moment and you know you know where the lineup was going and and some of the effect because you can see it visibly on the ice when things get down everybody's heads to get down and you know times get tough and it, it's it's hard to snap out of that in the moment you always it always takes a goal to do that but you know sometimes that next goal doesn't happen um it, it's you know it it go i think it goes to where they felt the expectations were going to be for this season. Like if if this was, if they had playoffs in mind from day one, which I mean, they're always going to tell you, they do, you know, they're always going to say, Oh, we're going to hear a Wednesday on the cup. Okay. I get it. But realistically, what, what are the goals? I think when you look up and down the lineup, you're like, well, this is going to be a development year for a lot of guys. So playoffs are maybe asking a lot of everybody. Um, but you start out hot and the things you're like, okay, like, what are we doing here? Like, you know, are we going to push or what? But, Um, but it is a development year and it it usually means you're not going to be going to the postseason. but you got to figure out how to get these guys in the best position for next year when they are going to be, you know, when playoffs are a legitimate goal uh, and you want to move on, move on from, you know, kind of middling around and, you know, setting your goal for like 80, 85, 90 points maybe. But, um, but, but you can't do that unless you kind of go through it, I guess that's, you know, it's, if you have a team that like kind of jumps out of nowhere and leaps into the playoffs. I mean, it's happened to the avalanche a couple of times where, you know, out of, out of the blue, they just jumped into the playoffs and you're like, Whoa, where'd that come from? And then the next year they're horrible. You know, that that's the kind of up and down stuff you want to avoid. Um, but they have, but there's just so many, there's so many young guys that they're, that they're, that they're putting right into it now that, uh, that going through those ups and downs right now, it's better to do that now and figure out how to get mm-hmm. past them than it is to get into a, okay, we got to make the playoffs this year point. And then if you've had a bunch of guys that have not gone through that, suddenly it's pressure time and guys might be cracking or, it's you know, the, it's it's natural. So, you know, figure it out now and kind of move from there. It requires patience, and I know fans are way out of patience. Yeah, I, no, I, I 100% get that. It doesn't
5: exist anymore. I mean, pro sports oh, in yeah. general, you know, like. Oh, yeah. And and frankly, the Sabres are, are probably have the luxury of having more patience in their fan base than any major sports team does Anywhere, I mean, and that, that I'm being real about that. Like, a, like this, this organization has the luxury of a level of patience that you know the Rangers and the Devils and like any other team in the league has. And go to any other major sports league. I mean, coaches get fired for way less than what mm-hmm. they've gone through over the past couple of years. But I think that patience. Is probably looking a lot at the team that exists here in the NFL in Buffalo as well, and looking at the patience and how that sort of played out and and progressed for Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and and like all the great things that have happened to them. And I think that there's like this idea that, okay, well, if we give Kevin Adams the patience that, you know, we gave maybe other people now. It didn't take three or four years in Buffalo. It only took like a year or two. But the, I, I think if you want to look at a way to maybe push patience in the right direction, look at and, – and kind of my, my roundabout way of getting to our last topic here, which is that second line of Cousins, Paterka, and Quinn. If you were watching last year at all, especially in the playoffs, this really isn't a surprise to you to see Paterka and Quinn – be so successful, at least in the underlying numbers. Now, they haven't filled the net quite as much as maybe Quinn in particular should have. It. I mean, how many posts has this guy hit? Um, but, like, man, I'm still sort of waiting for the Dylan Cousins come out. Um, like, his underlying numbers are, especially five on five, are insane. Where are you with that line? And, and are you at all surprised with the underlying success these guys have had?
2: I'm not, because I, Cousins is the guy driving the bus for those for that line and he's he's been that way since he since last season honestly um you know the, the 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 advanced numbers the underlying numbers have been so good with him that it's just a matter of like well the goals are going to come They're, they they got to happen you know and maybe he's got to shoot a little more i guess you know but it's you know when you got a line with, with quinn and peterka maybe you don't need to shoot as much maybe you just got to cash in on some rebounds or something like that but it's uh it, it's a line that i'm not surprised as playing as playing as well as they are, um, I'm eager to see where it goes from here because I think that that I want to think that that line's kind of settled out. Now, obviously, you know, if something hits, you know, somebody hits a it's a hits a barricade along the way, then it's you know, you got to kind of figure things out from there. But I, but the way that they play together, it's a it's a different sort of energy line where you know, not coming out and hitting people, they're coming out and blitzing you taking the puck away, trying to create turnovers in, you know, in their, in the other team zone and, 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 and popping goals. So it's a, uh, it's a lot more fun. <laughs> it's a lot more fun having those guys playing together. And, you know, I, I mean, for cousins, I mean, the offense will be there. Yes, I agree. I, I don't, I don't, he's the one guy I, I have like the least concern about offensively because I'm just like the way he plays, it's just not, goals are going to happen uh whether it's with him or if it's his wingmates like it's going to be
5: in the world like the NBA. world cup of hockey or like where the, the where they played a couple of months ago during the off season where he was on the line with uh Pierre-Luc Dubois right and he's at he's at left wing i think he was and having mm-hmm. that player be able to set him up i do think is kind of the next phase of how you unlock him offensively and i'm wondering if that's Paterka.
2: yeah you know that that's um You're saying put Cousins on the wing? No, not necessarily.
5: I'm just saying, like, having someone on a line that can set him up more times than not. Like, he Hmm. was unleashed as a goal scorer when, like... Dubois was playing with him, and I think he was really the beneficiary of having a guy that has great vision and can set him up in those, and especially just in like those high-danger areas. He doesn't really, I'm not sure if he has that on this line or if he's going to have to be the guy that sets those guys up, um, but like, I look at Paterka and I see like a guy that absolutely he's got the speed and with the puck in his hands, like he can do things as a goal scorer, but I also maybe look at him as and, and sort of projecting in the future as a guy that can sort of set the other guys up on that line.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think Paterka is—he's he, shown himself to be a little bit more of a finisher um, than I thought he was level. going to be. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, <laughs> he's what <laughs> maybe twenty games into his NHL yeah, career right. at this course, point. So I mean, it's it's gonna it's gonna prove itself out. But that's with that group though, uh, you know. I I think the, whatever the future holds for them, I the way I could see it end up playing out is if you really want to get Cousins offense going you want to get him scoring goals ultimately to me that's where Krebs yeah I would agree centers and then Cousins goes to the wing and then you know you've got you've got Quinn on the other side of that but um but again you got to move you got to move a piece somewhere else in the top six ideally for Paterka to to slide in there to, to to go to where he's supposed to go but that's but that's a down the road kind of thing but for right now um you know, listen. The, the, the number of turnovers that Patric has created and the opportunities he's, he's made for himself are is incredible. Quinn has just been snake bit by bad luck, and Cousins Cousins does all the dirty work. You know, he's he's the guy getting the wrestling the puck back. He's the guy, you know, laying the hits. He's the guy kind of stirring it up out there. So, um, I I don't sweat that group whatsoever. I I think that they're a lot of fun to watch. and I think the fans love it. And they got some they got some important. Uh, Simon's last night late in the game where, you know, they're fighting for a goal and they get the call off the bench to go out there and try to get one. So they're, they're earning a lot of, they're earning a lot of respect and they're earning a lot of trust from, from Granado. So that says a lot about how they're playing.
5: All right, buddy. I appreciate you. What a great conversation. Uh, enjoy your weekend in Albany and appreciate you very much. And uh, we'll see each other soon, buddy.
2: Hey, You got it, Nate. Thanks, man.
5: All right. Joe Yerdon there on our Western hotline, the, uh, noted substack. Make sure you check him out there. Uh, you can check out his written work at Bleacher Report as well, and he also has the uh, Maintenance Day podcast with Lance Lykowski. I'm going to take a timeout. Bruce Nolan on the other side. More Bills talk coming up here on WGR.
0: Sal Capaccio takes you behind the scenes on Buffalo Bills Game Day with Sal's All Access. Watch it live
1: on... Temp Check. What kind of summer are we having this year?
0: WGR's Facebook page. Sal's All Access, presented by Duncan. America runs on Duncan. Bulls Football Monday, brought to you by Northwest Bank. For what's next, get started at Northwest.com.
5: All right, we are shifting gears from hockey back to football and joining me to do just that is my co-host on the Food for Thought podcast every Friday night in the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network, Bruce Nolan. He also is the uh, the host of the Bruce exclusive podcast, which you could hear live on that on said Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. Bruce, how you feeling? You, you feeling any better today?
4: I'm feeling a little bit better. I'll let you know after the Ohio State-Michigan game exactly how I'm feeling, but I'm kind of in a holding pattern right now.
5: Uh, This is where you and I can, uh, can, can join arms and we can say F Big Blue. Absolutely we can. Yes, 100%. And we will. You
4: know what? Enemy of my enemy is my friend. I will accept it for today.
5: Yes. And as a Notre Dame fan, uh, this is the one day a year I become an Ohio State fan. So, um, you know, and I'm sure the same can be said for you when Notre Dame and Michigan play. So uh, that's right. The enemy of your enemy, in fact, today is your friend. So, Bruce, um, I had the the pleasure of talking with Eric Turner earlier, who has already sort of made his way through the All-22 of last uh, of Thursday's game against the Lions. And talked a little bit about Ken Dorsey and talked about the defense as a whole. I, I wanted to, to get with you about... One thing in particular on the defensive side of the ball, you and I talked about yesterday as you were frantically looking for the stat, right? And the stat was how many times the Bills blitzed against Jared Goff on Thursday. We, right before we went live, you finally found the stat on Pro Football Reference and you came up with 43.6%. That was the amount of snaps, the snap percentage that Jared Goff was blitzed on Thursday. Is that a high number for you in this in this in this defense in particular, especially when you consider all the injuries they have? Is it, it seems borderline reckless, but it's certainly a turn of something I'm not familiar with this defense really ever doing in the era of Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier.
4: It's absolutely high. If you look back at some of the most recent games, it was twenty percent blitz rate against Jacoby Brissett, it was sixteen point one against Kirk Cousins, it was thirty seven point nine against Zach Wilson, which you could make mix- That makes sense. You know, the whole idea that you blitz less experienced quarterbacks and you don't blitz more experienced quarterbacks, that tracks. But then 2.9% against Aaron Rodgers, very famously, week one against the Los Angeles Rams, the Bills didn't blitz a single time. They didn't bring anything. So it's pretty clear what they want to be. But what they want to be isn't what they're going to be right now. What they want to be is they want to be a team who can consistently get pressure with four. It's the reason why you invest all this money in Von Miller. It's the reason why you invest all these draft picks in Gregor Rousseau and Boogie Basham and A.J. Finessa. You do all this because you are trying to achieve a specific ideal of what you would like your past defense to look like. Well, it doesn't look like that. The Buffalo Bills' pressure rate this year versus last is actually markedly lower than it has been. And so in order to achieve that pressure rate that they want, the pressure rate targets that they have, they're going to keep bringing extra blitzers. If Von Miller happens to go down in the middle of the game, they're going to bring even more blitzers. One of the things that I talked about in a piece for Buffalo Rumblings was that this has a triple, trickle effect through the rest of the defense. And so we talk about, for example, Dane Jackson and the struggles he's had. One of the things that exacerbates the Dane Jackson problem is the fact that you're not getting home with four. So you have to bring extra blitzers. You bring extra blitzers, you have left health for your corners. And so these things have trickle effects. Dane Jackson, man, I, I don't understand why Dane Jackson has looked not as good the last couple of games. Well, they've had to blitz more the last couple of games, and specifically against the Lions, they had to blitz more. And so these types of things have a trickle effect through the remainder of your defense. It's not just Von Miller goes down, next man up. I understand that that's the phrase that Buffalo people use it's a phrase that football people use it's a phrase that defensive and offensive coordinators use and head coaches use everyone's going to use that phrase next man up but it's not as simple it's trickling through the remainder of the defense and I think that ostensibly I looked at the game against the Lions and said it feels like they're blitzing a lot and I was like I don't really want to commit to that until I look it up and 43.6 percent is is a staggeringly high number
5: I thought it was a staggering. I I was I was right there with you, dude. Like thinking about and watching this game, I felt the same thing. Man, they seem like they're blitzing a lot, and what they were doing too, Bruce, is they were blitzing, but again, not getting home. And you know, part of this too is I was. How interesting was it for you that one week after claiming him on waivers, that A.J. Klein was not just out there for, I mean, well, I think it ended up being like something like 94% of the snaps at middle linebacker, was calling the defense over Dotson, who had been sort of that de facto guy last year, and then into the beginning part of the, the, the second half against Minnesota, and then all of last week against um, Cleveland, in a game that I thought the Bills defense, I mean, obviously they shut down Nick Chubb, so... What was the, the, the move to A.J. Klein almost as a full-time replacement for Tremaine was that Was that an interesting move for you?
4: It was an interesting move for me because A.J. Klein knows the defense from obviously being here, but hasn't been here this year. The fact that he's capable of being in the middle and calling the defense after being here for a week and a half is interesting to me, but also... I think that trickles into the blitz rate as well. One of the things that we specifically talked about AJ Klein all those years when he was here and he was replacing Matt Milano, he's replacing Tremaine Edmonds when they were down for injury, is that AJ Klein is at his best when he's moving in a straight line. And that straight line is forwards. AJ Klein plays forwards. What you don't want to do is you don't want to make AJ Klein play backwards. And so when you look at the blitz rate, part of that is, you know, you're not getting home. Part of that is, Von Miller gets hurt. Part of it might be AJ Klein. Part of it might be the best usage of AJ Klein. We saw some That's of the right. best games that AJ Klein has ever had, were when you say AJ, yes, see ball, yeah, get ball, right, run forward, and he's aggressive. He takes good angles running forward. He's a good blitzer. These are the things that he does best. And so, part of that can be attributed. Part of the blitz rate we just talked about can be attributed to AJ Klein moving forward. And maybe if you know you're going to have a blitz happy game plan. Then A.J. Klein's exactly the kind of linebacker you'd rather have.
5: But but correct me if I'm wrong, Bruce. Isn't that exactly why you go and draft Terrell Bernard in the third round? Like, isn't it that exactly the sort of player you thought you were getting from Baylor? And I mean, there's been a level of, I think, disappointment for me in the recent use of second round picks. I have been, I mean, I don't want to be dramatic, but utterly disappointed in Boogie Basham. I, I just like The explosiveness is not there. Playmaking is not there. I'm starting to wonder if he's a long-term option for this team, even as a depth player. Um, Shaq Lawson has come in and made a bigger impact. And basically teams, the league had written off Shaq Lawson as an everyday depth player in this league. He's come in and has played a lot better. And it's been way more impactful than Boogie Basham. But I look at Boogie Basham and Terrell Bernard in the same light to say, like, Those are picks you absolutely have to hit on. And in a game where you lose Von Miller, all eyes were on 55, and I just, you know, nowhere to be seen. Yeah, I think that
4: one of the things that you may have thought when Boogie Basham came out is I don't think a lot of people thought that Boogie Basham was going to be a really high ceiling player. But one of the things you thought you might be getting is you might be getting Shaq Lawson with a little bit more juice. Well, it turns out you're getting Shaq Lawson with a little bit less juice. And Shaq Lawson has been probably the third-best end Agreed. on this team this year. I think he's been better than A.J. Epinesa. I think he's been better than Boogie Basham. And he just sits in this defensive scheme. And when you watch Shaq Lawson play, you feel very similarly to the way that you watch a player like David Bell for the Browns. You just look at him, you and go, that's a professional player. Right. right? That's a professional player is what that is. He does what he's supposed to do he's technical, he's in the right spots, he's not making crazy mistakes. That's just a professional defensive end right there. I'm not saying that he's going to rock up a ton of sacks, and maybe he'll never you know, live up to the first-round pick, and obviously he hasn't thus far, the the kind of feeling that you thought you were going to get. But that is a good, solid, professional defensive end. And I think right now, Boogie Basham's not quite living up to what we thought the floor might be for him when he came out, which was Shaq Lawson.
5: Yeah, I I think that's a great way of putting it. It's the floor that I think you were expecting to see from Boogie Basham it hasn't even really been there. And, and like, listen, it's taken a long time for AJ Epinesa to take the step into being a solid role depth player. And his injury, I think, also matters too, because, you know, instead of AJ Epinesa on the field, now you're seeing more of Boogie Basham. I think it's really important, as is important it is to get Von Miller back from injury, and as important as it is to get Greg Rousseau. I might say the third most important guy here in this conversation is A.J. Epinesa, Bruce.
4: I I agree. And, you know, the first year, I think it was really, really easy. There was a built-in excuse for A.J. Yes, there was. And I think that's okay. I think that all the people who said he went through a completely new body recomposition, I think that's completely fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with you kind of – setting fire to the first year of AGF and SF because of the drastic body recomposition that he undergoes. But now we're multiple years removed from that. And I think that when you saw Gregory Rousseau get drafted, you thought to yourself, okay, they have a type here. You know, they're finding some these players with crazy length. And Rousseau has developed much faster into a much better player. And you look at yourself and go, okay, A.J. Epinesa, this is a guy who at one point was A.J. Epinesa or Chase Young. Like, that was an actual discussion (laughs) that people had early in each of their respective final seasons. And, you know, we're significantly removed from that. But I think that it's fair to say that the Bills haven't gotten the return on investment from the high draft picks that they have spent on the defensive line, specifically at edge Rusher, in the last couple of years and that some of the free agent moves that they've made, Vaughn Miller, Daquan Jones, Shaq Lawson, some of, some of these players, some of the trades, like Jerry Hughes, when he came in, obviously that was way before this regime, but some of the non-draft acquisitions have actually panned out better than some of the draft acquisitions. Now, obviously, Ed Oliver, now that he's healthy, goodness gracious, that was an unbelievable game from Ed Oliver. Yeah.
5: But
4: you spent a lot of draft capital on the defensive line, And a lot of it hasn't quite panned out the way you want it to. And now is the time, with Von Miller going down, where you kind of needed it to. So now the conversation becomes more about that investment and more about the type of return you're getting on than it otherwise would have. Because if Von Miller's putting up a ton of pressure, that conversation kind of gets pushed to the back burner a little bit. But now that he's not around, now all of a sudden the spotlight goes, Okay, guys, you've been here. You were high draft picks. You've been in the system. It's time to step up. And we're just all hoping that that happens.
5: Yeah. It's, and again, the pressure starts to, starts to mount a little bit on a guy like Boogie Basham here in the next couple of weeks, as he is going to be asked to fill a much bigger role than, than maybe he was expected to, to start the season. And, you know, this is a team that decided to move on from a lot of its veteran leadership at that position, obviously. Jerry Hughes maybe most notably, and a guy that still has the juice in Jerry Hughes, by the way. Um, So it will be interesting to me me, over the next couple of weeks with Von Miller out and still assessing the injury and and, and the length in which he'll be missing. Boogie Basham's role is going to come into, I think, really kind of like into the crosshairs of how people are going to evaluate this defense. And can they get through this stretch? Boogie Basham's going to be a big reason whether they do or don't. And, you know, the other part of this too is the absence of Terrain Edmonds. We talked about A.J. Klein, but we didn't really in that same – you know, conversation, talk about the importance of Tremaine Edmonds to this past defense and watch as we all watch Dane Jackson sort of struggle through the last 10 quarters of football against, by the way, very, very good receivers. This is going to be the new norm of how teams are going. Listen, like you watch that game, Bruce, Jared Goff was not, you know, he wasn't looking off safeties. He was dropping back. They were, they were, they were scheming up the matchup of St. Brown versus Dane Jackson and there was no surprise where they were going to the football and yet they still struggled to get consistent stops and to get off the field on third down and and listen you know wh- whether or not he was the primary man in coverage or not Dane Jackson really struggled the last couple of weeks against number one wide receivers. He's sort of been on display for the worst part of those. But I, I continue to think Bruce, the big one of the big reasons why they've struggled so much are on those in-breaking routes and teams using the leverage of these outside corners against them. And even not just outside corners, Bruce. Taron Johnson has had a tough stretch of football. Maybe the worst stretch of football we've seen Taron Johnson play as a pass defender. I just don't think there's any coincidence that they're passing guys off to AJ Klein and Dotson instead of Tremaine Edmonds.
4: And when you're passing players off to, player, to players, you don't have that length, that matters. And we talk a lot about A.J. Klein being at his best moving forwards. Tremaine Evans is very, very good moving backwards because of that length and because of his ability to catch crossers and carry fast receivers across the middle, which you look at this and the type of throws that get taken off of the menu, you can't really quantify that. You have to see it. You have to see a quarterback – look over the middle and go, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm just That doesn't seem like a good idea to me. I'm going to pass and move on their, into their other progressions. And one of the trickle effects of having the blitzes is you, you have Dane Jackson in man coverage a little bit more often. Dane Jackson in man coverage allows a passer rating of 138.1. Oof. In zone coverage, he allows a passer rating of 66.5. There you go. <laughs> that is – a staggering difference. Yeah. And he's not the only one on this team who allows a very, very significant swing between man and zone. That's not, that's not a uniquely Dane Jackson thing. But it happens to pop up here because it's, the, the stretch is bigger than most on the team. And so when you look at the situations you don't want to put your corners in, you have to pick your poison. Is it do I leave him in zone coverage and not get the pressure and just get picked apart all day, or do I say no? We are going to get pressure. I don't care how many men it takes us. We are going to get pressure, because you're darned if you do, darned if you don't, on some of this stuff. And a defensive coordinator gets put in a really bad position, because this isn't the ideal defense. This isn't what you want to do. We know what they want to do. We saw it week one against the Rams. That's what they want to do. And they're not getting home the way they want to with four. And because of that, you have to make a call. Are you going to just not get home with four, and let people pick you off. And the Detroit Lions have a good offensive line. They have Amon Ross and Brown, and they have a reasonable distributor at quarterback. That's what it is, a reasonable distributor. Are you going to give him six years to throw the ball? Because Jared Goff is not good under pressure. They made the call that they were going to be bliss happy, but unfortunately that puts Dane Jackson in a situation he doesn't want to be in. All
5: right, Bruce, tell the folks uh, where they can find your work. I know you got a piece coming out. Yes, I have a right out right now, actually, on buffalorumblings.com.
4: Uh, title is uh, Injuries on Offensive Line, Defensive Line, Create Ripple Effects for Bills. And some of the stuff that I've been referencing today comes pulled from that piece. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. And you can find my show, The Bruce Exclusive, apart from the show I do with yours truly, Nate, um, on Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network on Thursday mornings.
5: Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, we'll talk. Well, you and me will talk. We'll talk soon. All right, buddy. Appreciate you. Bruce Nolan there on our Wester Hotline, talking a little Bills and Lions. We're going to take a timeout. we got two timeouts to get to on the other side of that at the 1 o'clock hour. Matt Verteram is going to join us. We're going to talk more AFC outlook as well as the AFC starts to come into picture over the next couple of weeks here. On Sports Talk Saturday on WGR.
0: Head coach Sean McDermott joins the Extra Point Show with Sal and Joe every Friday morning at 1030. Brought to you by Northwest Bank. For what's next, get started at Northwest.com.
5: All right, really quick segment here. I've got Matt Verteram, a fan-sided, joining us next. We're going to talk about the AFC Outlook, a pretty important slate of games this weekend. The Kansas City Chiefs, a team that, that he's a big fan of, we'll talk about coming up next here. They face the Rams with Bryce Perkins at quarterback. So I think we can count that as a dub for the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll talk to Matt coming up next. AFC Outlook, Kansas City, Buffalo, the Jets, the Dolphins, all that. It's coming up next here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR.
0: Catch the Football Friday Roundtable every Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. with Shope and the Bulldog.
3: Tune In is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions
4: in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports.
0: The clock at 4. Donchich. The step back 3. You bet! Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, all
3: and all even podcasts. Whatever you love.